Welcome to the Good Shepherd Church podcast. Good Shepherd is a gospel-centered church plant in Southeast Lakeland, Florida, and our vision is to join God's mission to see a glorious city filled with disciples of Jesus who are secure as children of God, connected as the family of God, and engaged as stewards of God's love to their neighbors and beyond. Here you will find sermons and other resources to help root and equip you in your true identity in Christ. We're glad you're here. All right, thank you again for being with us either in person or online. Hello to all the, uh, the folks who might be worshiping with us either on the live stream currently uh, or maybe at any other time during the week as well. Um, in thinking about moving towards the end of the first chapter of James that we've just started working on, I, I thought about this category of, um, of family businesses and thinking through kind of the, the context that's happening right here as the, um, the first generation of this New Testament church gets going. So there's a stat that and there's actually a sort of a phrase that goes along with this that didn't make sense to me so I'm not going to say it if you're a business guy maybe you understand it but uh, the the essential idea is that there's a third generation rule and the third generation rule especially applies to uh, to family businesses that typically don't make it past three generations only 10% of family businesses make it past that third generation mark and this article by the Harvard Business Review, one of the main reasons of the three that they said was that the reasons why family businesses failed was this issue of, it's just kind of my fallback. Well, you know, by the third generation, the passion with which the father or the mother or the grandfather or the grandmother put into when they were first beginning this business, it kind of wanes. And yeah, you know, my parents just make carpet squares or whatever that is, and they've always done that, and that's just kind of what I do. So that you get the dynamic that they try to blaze their own trail in something else. And if it's a successful business, then they may try their hand at being an artist or being an entrepreneur themselves, being some kind of a, a star athlete, or maybe try to get in a couple of movies. And then if that doesn't work out, then... I guess I'll, you know, take over the family business or whatever. And so these, along with a couple other reasons, are why the family businesses typically don't survive more than three generations. If you look at the church, going all the way back to God's people in the Old Testament, this three-generation rule kind of applies as well. Like, you can think of the kingdom under King Saul that gets established, and it makes it how many generations before it falls apart? Saul which was kind of bad from the start. David, which was the peak. Solomon, third generation. And down the tubes after that. So we can see this happening even in uh, God's people, in God's church in the Old Testament. And so here comes James. James, like we've said, is a saintly old dude. And he's been around for a while. He's looking at the, the first generation church that he has helped to birth by literally his blood brother Jesus, his half-brother Jesus. And, and he's looking at this little microcosm. He's looking at this little seed that right now is dispersed. And they're all over the place. And they've, they've been scattered. They don't have all the safety. They're under persecution. They're on the run in many places. They're operating under 
uh, under very stressful conditions just to maintain their faith. And so he wants to speak in. He wants to speak in and remind them, guys, you're working for something good. Don't give up, right? Week one was you're going to experience trials. Here's how to, how to handle that. Week two was you're going to be tempted because the heat of trials shows up a bunch of stuff in your life that you didn't even think was there and turns out you had a lot more mess inside of you than you thought. This week, he focuses on, then what does it look like to live faithfully? We're finally getting to the faithful living. We've been talking about responding to difficulties. Now we're finally getting to the point of, what does it look like to be active in a culture that's against Jesus, in a, in a world that's against Jesus, even with some parts of yourself that you continue to find are against the lordship of Jesus? How do we handle these how do we handle not just going the way of the third generation family business that's in a couple of generations eh, it's just you know it's just church it's just the bible it's just kind of what my family does right he is calling us to a new level of obedience a new level of following jesus this morning and here's how he does it james 1 verses 19 through 27 know this my beloved brothers let every person be quick to hear slow to speak slow to anger for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God that is the understatement of the century therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls but be doers of the word here it is be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like but the one who looks at the perfect law the law of liberty and perseveres being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts he'll be blessed in his doing if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. So Father, we ask that you would open up this word to our eyes. Our eyes are, are hazy, they're fuzzy, they're darkened in many ways by the trials and the temptations that we have had the past week. And so we don't want to leave those as it were at the door. We want to bring those directly to you and we want to give them to you. And so for all the things right now that, that we're just stuck on, that we're worried about, that we're scared about, uh, that we're feeling faithless about, that we're doubting, maybe you're even there or not there, I don't even know. Would we take all those things and would we give them to you right now? Knowing that you are faithful and that you can handle it. And that we would sit and listen with open ears. Not to my words, but to yours. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So how quick are you this morning? Darn it! Almost made it through this afternoon at listening to the Father. Two points this morning. I'm just going to stop saying it. Uh, one, 
Slow to hear means quick to ruin. This is my own version of the Proverbs that I'm writing right now. It's not canonical. Uh, One, slow to hear, quick to ruin. It's kind of the first summary of the bad side of what the slow to anger, slow to speak thing means. Secondly, quick to hear, quick to right living. So let's break those two things down. Verse 19 jumps right into it. And it there are, there are almost more imperatives. There's almost more do this in the book of James than there are verses in the book of James because he'll cram multiple do this even in one verse. And so he jumps right in in verse 19 and says, here's the first thing to do. Do this. My beloved brothers, be quick to hear, be slow to speak, and be slow to become angry. And this is a pattern that you can, you can consider uh, in the, the way of a dance step, that you would begin to orient yourself to this quick, slow, slow dance step over and over and over again in your life. And the idea here is so obvious, and this is one of the most often quoted verses in the Bible, and it's one of those things that the reason we quote it so much is because we're so bad at it, Right? Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to become angry. When I'm in an argument, when you're in an argument, even this past week, were you quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry? When, when you got in a political conversation this week with someone who believes differently than you, were you quick to listen? Were you slow to form opinions of your own? Were you slow to become angry because the other person does not line up with where you are? When you're talking to your children this week, were you quick to get down on their level and to listen peer to peer, person to person, human to human, or like so easy for those of us who are parents or teachers or nurses or anything else where you interact with children as it's so easy to do is jump to assumptions, you know exactly what that child is thinking, feeling, and then you jump right in, you solve whatever it is, and you say, let's go. I did that getting into the car and getting out of the car multiple times just this week. Kids, when you're talking to adults in your life, how quick are you to listen? How quick are you to turn them, tune them out? And and this final little punchy phrase, if we jump on Uh, No, that's it. That's it right there. This final phrase, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Right? When in your life can you think of a time when yelling made it better? When in your life can you remember where a pounding of your fist on the table made anything feel better, look better, seem better, act better, when you try to forceful forcefully parent your children like that when you try to forcefully coerce someone in an argument like that when you try to forcefully talk to your parents or your boss or your spouse or whoever how's that go for you or how's that not go right that understatement of the century that anger doesn't produce character change that's just not how our hearts work and that's ultimately not how the law of God works because it's not his anger is it that calls us to repentance but it's his kindness 
And this doesn't just work between us peer to peer, but this also works between us and the Lord. And so jump to verse 22, and he takes some of that same hearing language, and he says, okay, so I've just told you to, from peer to peer, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Now think about that between you and the Lord. Don't just be, while we're talking about hearing, listen to the Lord, for sure. But he says, while we're talking about hearing, don't be hearers only, but be doers, right? Everybody knows the difference between hearing and hearing. Everybody knows, you get, you get what I'm saying? Everybody gets the difference between hearing and hearing in such a way that it actually changes your activity. And so he says, you can, you can go your whole life to church. You can sit here in these seats you can go in and go out. You can be faithful for your entire life. You can read the Bible every day of your life. And what he's saying is, and what the Lord is saying through James, is that there is a way to hear his voice, but not be affected by it. Right? And this is the idea of where, ah, it's just the Bible. I mean, it's been around since I was a kid. It sits out on my family dinner table. My dad talks about it all the time. It's just, I mean, you know, it's just church. We just, you know, shove a bunch of people in a little house and sing a couple songs and then go home. Like, we just, it's just, it's just. But is it just? And so what he's saying here is, it's not just that. These are the words of Almighty God holy, transcendent, above all things, creator and redeemer of everything. And he's the one who speaks to us here. So, if you jump down to verse 23 and 24, I've heard a pastor say it like this. He said, I actually caution my people from reading the Bible too fast. For a couple of reasons. One, to be slow and methodical in hearing from the Lord out of his word. Secondly, though, the more Bible study that you do, the more liable you are now with all the knowledge that you have about the Bible, right? The more that you know about the scriptures, the more that you are then on the hook, essentially, for then being a doer of the word that you've been studying. How much do my sermons, not because of me, how much does coming to church, not because of the church, how much does your personal Bible reading, not because of the time or the place or the space that you might do that, but how much do those things, how much do you see right now those things impacting the way that you live out your days? Or how much do you not see that changing? So verse 23 and 24, like I said, James is chock full of all of these metaphors. Uh, and so it really helps being a pastor, a preacher, trying to illustrate some of these things. So here's what he says it's like. He says, here's what it's like if you just go to church and leave and then live however you want during the week. Here's what it's like. 23 and 24. If anyone's a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. So you can imagine, you know, maybe when you're getting ready today, you, you went and you took your shower and then you looked at yourself in the mirror and you kind of checked your face over and, you know, you shaved or you blow-dried your hair, whatever you did. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Here's the image. It's as if you had a salad for lunch 
that had a lot of parsley in it. And then you were getting ready for church, and you go to the mirror, and you smile, and in your grill is a whole bunch of green stuff. All that parsley is stuck in your teeth. And then you close your mouth, you smile, and you walk to church. And then every person you smile at at church that day gives you a funny look. He's saying that's how foolish it is to, to just come in every morning and sit with your, script, with your Bible, to come in once a week to church, to come into your city group and study the word together and then just go, oh, that was nice. All right, well, time to go do my life again. He said that's how foolish it is. It's like, it's like having parsley in your teeth and living your entire week like that. There's something that's just silly about that picture. And so when we think about to, to take that and apply it a little bit more pointedly, when you consider, let's just say what we've been reading in the community Bible reading this past week, and you consider Job, and you look at some of the attitudes with which Job faced suffering with, and then you look at some suffering in your own life, and that helps you to reflect on some of that. But does Job help coach your heart in how you should respond and how physically you are responding to the difficult trials in your life? It should. You're going and looking at it. But then isn't it so easy to look at it and then walk out the door and then all, you're just blown around all day by what you think and what you feel and what's best for you? We should. There's plenty, even in this passage already that we've studied, there's plenty that we should repent of. There's plenty of places where we have not been quick, slow, slow, but we've been slow, quick, quick. We've been, we've been slow to listen. We've been quick to speak. We've been quick to become angry. And if you're familiar with this little guy, this is the CBR journal. Um, and this is why there's a confession box that one right there, and you're about to see it on the screen, that's why there's a confession box. Anytime you read the scriptures, whether you do it corporately like this, whether you do it personally in your own home, whether you do it around your, your family breakfast table or dinner table or with a friend or a coworker or a spouse or whoever that is, it, one of the movements should always be, man, I'm looking in the mirror and I'm seeing just how just how many, uh, you know, sprigs of parsley I got in my teeth. I'm looking and seeing just how far I really fall short from God's perfect law. And so, yeah, I can see all the places, and we can see all the places this week, even, where we've blown it. But that's also not the first box, and that's not the last box. The first box, then, is this box called adoration. Right? And the subtitle under that box is Praise the Father for His Attributes and His Actions. The starting place of Scripture is not you. The starting place of Scripture is the God who wrote it and the God who speaks it to your heart by His Spirit every time you pick it up. And if that's the starting place, then the first thing you do when you approach, let's just say, the text that we're with today, where do you see God in it? Where, what do you see that you can praise him for? Well, I see verse 27 where God identifies himself as God the Father. 
How does that help me in my struggle with quickness to anger and slowness to listen? Right? When I think that he cares for me, and in, since he's a father, then he treats me as a father does. How does a father treat his son? He wants him to grow up. Right? He wants to, to mature, help him mature and to do exactly what God has called him to do. He wants him to own his own faith, and he wants him to own his own life. And so what does the Father want for us? He wants to grow us, to, he wants to grow us up. He wants to grow us up, as Ephesians 4 says, into more and more the likeness of our elder brother and his son, Jesus. But isn't it true that we can spend much more time thinking of him, not as a father, but as a tyrant who wants to rule our life? The reason why we look at the law and we go, ah, it's just too hard. Following God's just too much is because we don't believe, ultimately, that God's a father. We believe that he's a whole host of other things, but we don't believe that he has our best interests at heart. And when we lose that, then we also lose the category that we have for this is good for me to follow him even when I have no idea what he's doing in my life, even when it feels awful inside myself. So we start with adoration. We see who God is and how he works and begins to write our hearts. And then we reflect on the law and we see all the places that we mess up. Still not the last box, though. If you jump down to the next box, the Thanksgiving box, particularly... This is focused on Jesus for his salvation, past, present, and future. And so where do we see Jesus in this text? Well, his name's not there. His name's nowhere to be found in there. So how do we begin to infer what he might have to say to us from this text today? Well, look, look at verse 25. The one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty. How does the law become liberating? How does a bunch of do this, do that, how does that feel inside and outside like freedom? Because most of the time when you and I, kids to up to 80 and 90 year olds, when you are told what to do, do you like it or not? Typically you don't like it. But if it's a good thing to do, then the problem is not with what's being asked of you, the problem is right inside of your own chest. And so when we look at the law, how does an entire list of do this, do that become freedom, become liberty to us? The only way to explain this is through Galatians 4. In the same way we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. That's describing what it's like to look at the law and then go out and live your life however you want. Yeah, it's the Bible and whatever, but I got some stuff that I want to do. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law. That's very important. To redeem those who were under the law that we might receive adoption. Here's what we can miss. The, the work of Christ is not only such that our slate is wiped clean. 
It's not only such, we talk a lot about his perfect life and his perfect death. It's not only such that by living a perfect life, he gives you his righteousness. It's not only that by taking the wrath of God for everything that you deserve, every bit of law-breaking that you have gone against, either knowingly or unknowingly, but you are still liable for, if that's not all it is, then we can begin to see how the law becomes freedom. Because not only is our slate wiped clean, but that very last phrase is the most important, that we might receive adoption as sons. And you can infer in that, and daughters as well. He has not only redeemed for himself a group of workers. He has redeemed for himself a family. And as a good father, he leads this family that totally changes the way that you can approach his word because you can know not only that he is perfect but that he is also good and with those two categories then you can take anything that the scriptures tell you to do and you can whether you feel it or not you can say I trust that I believe that because God is my father and I know if I ask him for a fish he's not going to give me a rock. So then let's move to the last box. If, if in Christ we begin to experience liberty, we're no longer under the law, but now we're freed to live in the way that the scripture describes. Then we jump to the fourth, fourth box. Supplication, ask the spirit to transform you in particular ways. So verse 21 describes that the word not only is outside of us, like here. But now, through the Holy Spirit, by believing in Jesus, the word is now in us. Jeremiah 31 says, a new covenant I'm about to make with you. And the word will no longer just be out here, but the word will be, the law will be written on your heart. And so the power that we now have to live this new life, the power that we have to live this law of, this law of love, that the Father is calling us to live in everything that we do, the power is not found in us. But more and more, the beauty of the gospel is that through small acts of obedience to him, he begins more and more to grow a love for what he says. Where more and more the call to worship that we started off with, I love your law. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great if our natural go-to reaction with anything is, I love that. I can't think of anything that I would rather do than that. Whatever it is that the Lord may be calling you to do. So you can think of it like this. Um, Saturday is a chore day around my house. And in order to play said video games that you want to play on said Nintendo Switch, you have to complete your chores. Right? And every kid groans because they all know what I'm talking about. Each chore, though, is not arbitrarily chosen. Each, each chore is for the age and stage and ability of that particular kid is catered to them. So McKendall's not on the roof scooping out the gutters. I know, as much as she would like that. Gray is not out front pressure washing our driveway. Right? But according to their ability, their father 
and their mother give them some chores to do, knowing that it's good for them to do it. And so in the same way, what are the chores that the Father might have for you? In, in an everyday sort of way, to take this from law and holiness and perfection to just stuff that we can experience. We know chores. Sometimes chores are fun. Sometimes chores are no fun. But we can trust that if our parents are good and they give us those things to do, then the Father in heaven can give us some chores to do, and we can trust him that those things will be best for us. So what are the chores that he might be asking you to do today? There's three big categories. Verse 26 and 27. <coughs> Excuse me. And we're going to come back to these, so we're not going to do anything but just hit them. If anyone thinks he's religious and doesn't bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, the person's religion is worthless. Religion that's pure and undefiled is this, to visit orphans and widows and to keep oneself unstained. So we can think of these three big categories. Watch your mouth. Care for the poor. Resist worldliness. These are three themes in James that we're going to continue to come back to, so that's all I'm going to say about them for now. Here's where I really want to end. Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Do you believe that you have a unique chore card that has been written out by God the Father from the youngest to the oldest in this room, if you are his son, if you are his daughter, you got a chore card. And on that chore card is everything from this side of your life to whenever he comes back or you go to be with him. There's a list of good works that only you could do. That there's a unique body of work that your life is meant to stand for and to count for. You could say it like this. Each one in this room has a personal ministry calling. Each person in this room is called to ministry. Not just me. Each person in this room has a unique ministry skill set, gifting, life story, talent set, spiritual gifting across the board. And all of those things are influencing what that chore card is for you. How could that begin to change the way that you do tomorrow? and the way that you do Tuesday, and the way that you do Wednesday. If you wake up every morning knowing, my good father has given me a chore card to do today, and I'm going to follow him in it, and I may hate cleaning out the gutters today, I might hate pressure washing the front driveway, but I can trust that this is exactly what he wants me to do. And because he's good, and because he's perfect, I'm going to follow him. Uh, so there's, a, there's an entire new category for demographics, and it's called the, the boomerang kid. And a boomerang kid is a kid that you send away to college and whatever after that, and then instead of going off into whatever it is that they're called to do, they circle back. And between the ages of 25 and 35, they end up living back at home. And so this is the proverbial, it may not, you know, there's, there are good reasons at times where that could be the case. But to give you a picture, this would be like, you know, the 32-year-old who lives in their parents' basement, who eats Cheetos and plays PlayStation 4 all day, right? I think we would all look at that 
and say, probably not the best use of your life. And so this boomerang generation boomed. It, was, it increased 2% in 40 years, from 1960 to 2000. And then in six years, it jumped 3%. It took 40 years for it to go 2%, and then from 2010 to 2016, it jumped 3 more percent just in six years. And so whatever you say about the culture around us, whatever you say about generations that are coming up, that's not really the point. The point is really just to illustrate this. The Lord has not made you to be a boomerang kid. The Lord has not made you to be someone that he sends out to the ends of the earth and then continues to come back around and go, are you sure that was on my chore card? Are you sure that's what you wanted me to do? I'm just, I don't know. I don't know if I like that. My plan for my life was to do this and you keep wanting to send me over here. And I just, I'm not sure about that. But the Lord wants you to grow up. The Lord wants you to own your faith. The Lord wants you more tomorrow than today to own this life that he has given you, to own that chore card that he has given you. Be quick to listen to the Father and then be quick to do what he says, knowing that like a good dad, he's got your best interest at heart and then he covers every bit of your failures with grace. Let's pray. So Father, we ask, we ask that you would send us out uh, as scary as that may be as as unnerving as it may be when like in Isaiah 6 when Isaiah says here I am Lord send me Father for each person in this room I pray that we would have an answer here I am send me w would you begin to give us even more clarity on who specifically and where specifically is my calling what have you made me for what have you made me uh, to, to love you and love neighbor? How specifically have you made me to live out your call to make disciples of all nations? There's so much fun to be had in following hard after you. But we're scared. Lord, we believe, but help our unbelief. Uh, and more and more, would you grow that word inside of us? Write it more and more on our hearts so that we could more and more be confident to live this way that you have called us to. But thank you that you don't treat us as our sins deserve. Thank you that if we do boomerang back to you and fail time after time after time, you do not treat us as our sins deserve. You treat us as a good father who picks us up and bandages our wounds and then sends us back out again. You're a good father. We pray this in your name. Amen.